Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are warned that the following episode may contain names of deceased people. SOFRO Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we record, the Wajak Noongar, paying respect to Elders past, present and future. Soraya, welcome to Being a Movement. It's lovely to have you here today. Thank you. Can you tell us what year you turned 11? 1993. And where were you living when you were 11 years old? I was living in a spring rental in Fortescue Street, a big old street, pretty close to my primary school, so I could walk or ride to primary school. Describe the ritual of the morning of Fortescue Street going to school. Uh, so, wake up in the morning, sometimes mum would bring me a hot tea or something in bed, I was a bit lucky, <laughs> and get up, have some breakfast, eat some fruit, and usually one or two friends from the neighbourhood would come past my house. Natalie Cole used to come by, or Ruth, and we'd walk to school together. And which primary school was it? Uh, Richmond Primary School. So it was a government school but sort of in a wealthy area with nice kids you know not too big not too small Mm -hmm. yeah it was really nice I really loved it and what year were you in when you were 11 year six year six so the last year of primary school no so I was in years my birthday was in May so I was 1993 I would have been in year six and then also year seven I would have been 11 as well till May but most of the a little bit more of the time would have been in 1993. So, so year seven is also primary school in yeah. your case? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember your classroom? Can you picture it? Yeah. It was like, I think it had white walls inside, high ceilings, big square windows. It was sort of an old, beautiful building, a lot of red brick, a nice big oval, nice little nooks and play areas, and then like a basketball, netball, like a courtyard in the middle. And where did you spend most of your time? Playing outside during breaks or, yeah, yeah climbing trees. <laughs> You're a big tree climber? Yep. Yeah. Any injuries? Broken bones? I probably had scabs on my knees all of the time, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what kind of kid were you? Um, How would the teachers describe you? I think I was... Probably pretty sensitive and pretty quiet, but playful. I try to be a good girl, but I was probably a little bit cheeky sometimes. Yeah. Can you describe what kind of cheeky you were? I can't think of an instance, but just more kind of playful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you weren't getting in trouble? No. You weren't the naughty kid? No. Okay. Do you remember your teacher? Yeah, my teacher in year six was... Mr. Back. I think the year before was Mr. Skull. And then. Hang on, Mr. Back and Mr. Skull. Mr. <laughs> Skull. Skull. And then Mr. Okay, that's not like you. taught by bodyguards. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Back was a really big guy, and he used to always flirt with this other teacher that we used to call Miss Piggy. I don't know why. I think it was just her nose or something. 
<laughs> anyway, he dad always kind of described him as being a bit racist. And I think, um, I mean, I've met him since then and he's totally not, or maybe something changed in that time. But I actually kind of grew up with, well, not from the beginning of my life, but with two dads. So my dad had a brother who was an Aboriginal man and sometimes they used to walk me to school mm-hmm. holding both my hands and they're both really tall men. And Mr. Back was like, whoa, he's like the tallest, blackest Aborigine I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, so it was like, I mean, everybody was white. So yeah. It was a big deal. So he, he stood out a bit. Yeah. 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 Can you describe that? That sounds like quite a curious relationship to have two dads. Can you tell us more about that? So my parents met up in the Kimberley and my dad worked closely with different um, language group people up there, but especially with Gunianti people, and they basically included him into their family system. Mm -hmm. And he worked really closely with Stanley Marindo, who they both were named Janowan, and he was an amazing dancer and actor and was in quite a few films so at that age I would have been going to all of his plays as well mm-hmm. which was pretty influential in my life I think yeah. and pretty interesting because yeah it was always like understanding the law and the politics and the issues with Aboriginal people mm-hmm. at that time which still exists today yeah so which which language group did you say it was uh Gunyandi. Um, I've never heard of a Gunyandi. Where's the country? It's East Kimberley. East Kimberley. Okay, so Lake Argyle, somewhere uh, like that? It's between Fitzroy Crossing and New Hulls Creek. And right. I think uh, there's like maybe three subdivisions within mm. that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Around the age of 11, if not a bit before, Dad started to notice that I was saying some things that sounded a bit racist. And he wanted to change that, so he had some strong relationships with Gwinnianti people who'd included him into family mm-hmm. and therefore myself as well. And he left me up on a work trip at Bayaloo Community mm-hmm. with Stanley Marindo's mother, Susie, who was a really important woman and leader within her community. And I was the only white kid there Mm. and she was the person I knew so I just held on to her dress the whole time (laughs) (laughs) but was she was she part of your family within that kinship system yeah so she was my jaja so my grandma right so she had full responsibility for you she had and she really took that on and she really was always concerned about you know if I was eating okay because I was vegetarian at that time and that was not normal up there and Plus the limited, you know, with what foods available because mm. it's so far away. Yeah. And she taught me a lot and it was just a really big eye-opener to living in the community and different way of living. So just to clean the house, she just hose it out and going out at night, she took me out some nights and listened to people playing music, the guitar and singing and yeah, it was really nice to watch mm. other kids playing. I didn't really play with them so much. I mostly just stuck to her, but I really felt cared for and included. Mm. Like, Lovely. Yeah. That's a really rare experience, yeah. even to this day yeah. in Australia. It's very, it's, it's a lovely thing. Yeah. You spent a week in this community? 
Yeah, it was about a week. It felt like a really long time that I was there, but it influenced me mm. the rest of my life and really affected how I see Aboriginal people. Just the way, like, my identity with them and my relationship with those people was really formed in that time, I think. Yeah. And do you, do you still communicate with your family up there in that, in that community? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, through social media these days. It's really yeah. easy. But, yeah, I still call someone, phone them up from time to time for a chat, see how they're going and, like, find out when I might be seeing them next or whatever. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, well, let's come back to Perth. Yeah. And you've come back a changed girl. Yeah. Back in your classroom, did you find that that changed how you approached school at all or was did you just transition straight back to a traditional suburban white fella life? I think my friends were really surprised to hear, you know, that I had an Aboriginal grandma and another dad who was Aboriginal and so explaining that was always really interesting. But I think at 11 was just a time where, you know, sort of becoming concerned about, you know, pollution in the world Mm -hmm. and concerned about racism because I cared about Stanley and he had a few incidents where, you know, like a taxi wouldn't pick him up because he was black or and racism and, you know, I felt like those things were unfair. But I was also kind of, I guess, just opening up to different issues in the world at that Mm -hmm. time a little bit more. And those many environmental, you would say? Yeah, and we had this other religious teacher who used to come to school, Sister Ella, who came up to about my shoulder. (laughs) And she used to talk about babies in Africa being put on their doorstep for them to look after and just Mm. these other worlds that existed to do with poverty that seemed really extreme but, you know, you wouldn't deny that they weren't real or something. Well, that happened to my own mother. Yeah. In the UK. So it's not that unusual. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like at that age you were becoming very socially conscious might be the right word, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I I mean, at 11 too, I'd just come back from a trip to America because I was right into doing gymnastics. I really loved doing that but I wasn't really great at it I was pretty skinny and gangly and <laughs> I mean I did heaps of sports and like mum used to take me to the beach every day yeah. so with, when you say America you mean the United States I'm assuming yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so when I did gymnastics uh the school offered that um students could go away to Bella Caroli's gymnastics camp in America mm-hmm and my parents happened to have some money at that time. So, and they thought it was a great opportunity for me to go. So, I went just with the school rather than with any family. Right. Which was pretty scary going overseas. Yeah. So, and whereabouts in the States are we talking? Well, I know we went to Universal Studios. So, California. And we sat on the Hollywood side. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somewhere in there you snuck in a little bit of gymnastics. Yeah, well, we had like a week of those places and then a week of like solo training Yeah, where it was like, now you have to wash all your clothes. So I was like, I don't know how to use a washing machine. <laughs> and, yeah, just the 
gymnastics teachers there were really curious about us Australians and what it was like in Australia mm. and the other kids so it was like being famous yeah mm. how many times did you get asked if you ride a kangaroo to school <laughs> <laughs> no but it was really like do kangaroos hop around in the street yeah yeah and did they comment on your capacity to speak English yeah they really loved hearing me say hamburger they wanted that on repeat yeah <laughs> <laughs> why hamburger because they say hamburger <laughs> and we say hamburger. So it just sounded so completely different to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you would if you had to go back to being 11 mm. and you had a choice between the East Kimberley and California yeah. and you had three months, yeah. which would you pick? Kimberley. Yeah. yeah. And why? Because the country is beautiful there. And open, and there's so much to learn about the land. The people are just so inclusive Mm -hmm. and just really free. Yeah. And I think America just, it's so far from home. It Mm -hmm. kind of feels, I was really scared being there Mm -hmm. to be so far away from home. Okay. And I didn't feel like I had people looking after me. I felt like I had to look after myself. Yeah, I was just a bit, I felt a bit too small. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember your 11th birthday? Was it a special day for you? I don't remember it. I mean, special days, my dad got married when I was 11. Wow. And I got a baby sister when Mm. I was 11. Yeah. Would you like to describe that then? Because that's got to be a fairly big turning point or bookmark in your life. Yeah, so... My sister was really special. She was born premature, so she was this tiny little thing. Mm. And when she was sort of, you know, I don't know, six months, eight months old, I just used to, and one years old, I used to just carry her around everywhere. Mm. And, yeah, really, really loved her. It's fun. And then Dad's wedding. Dad married Louise and I loved her. Mm. I just thought she was wonderful. I totally adored her, so I was really happy. And then it was just like a big family event that happened really quickly. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you were vegetarian. Yeah. Was that something you consciously chose or was foisted upon you because the rest of the family chose it? Describe that for us. I think I chose it myself and I think it was through discussions with my mum. Mm-hmm. And I... Didn't want to eat animals, basically. Yeah. You really were quite socially conscious <laughs> at a very young age. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's growing up in Fremantle. Yeah. And then, you know, around that time too, there was these anti-nuclear protests going on that were happening in the port because they didn't want American Navy to bring in nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. And so my mum was involved in some of those protests and dragged me into it as well so just the people who were around me made me conscientious of and I think it was around 11 that that kind of started to happen a lot more that I noticed it yeah I think that was quite successful that campaign because they've never been able to visit until quite recently yeah wow yeah yeah it was really interesting that protest we got on the front of the newspaper because I was little girl dressed in black carrying dead flowers and my mum and her friends were carrying a coffin that used to belong in 
the shop in Rayav of a friend of ours and they were all dressed like it was a funeral. Mm-hmm. So basically saying, you know, if you're bringing in nuclear weapons, you're killing, potentially killing us as well. You remember wearing that dress in those Yeah, and... well, it was really exciting. It's yeah. really fun. <laughs> Segwaying into, you know, your brief descriptions of the port and East Fremantle, can you describe for listeners what Frio, as we call it, is like? As a, as a place, as a people, you've lived here your whole life. Can you give us a bit of a rundown, a more with a focus on at the age of 11? Mm-hmm so that people can contrast it with their own experiences. So, 93, there used to be a few cafes in Frio, like Old Papa's and Gino's, and it was just one side of the street that had the cafes, mm-hmm. and it was sort of a, a bike ride or a long walk from my house mm-hmm. and a few restaurants and stuff, and the port often had like sailors coming in from different places but there was a real mixed crowd of and Fremantle's always had a few faces like different times of the day where you've got tourists coming in on the weekends and the markets and getting food from the markets to a bit of nightlife to all the Italians speaking Italian at Gino's and (laughs) or the older generation (laughs) And, yeah, then also just the dirty side of it and the poverty as well as the wealthy side of it. Do you think it's changed? I think it's just grown more of those things. So it's more cafes, it's wealthier, all the sides are more stronger, there's more poverty. Yeah, I think the change in, you know, the university side of it, this kind of Notre Dame, clean, prestigious, Mm. wealthy side with more hotels going in there and then this... You walked across the other side of Fremantle and you just see like, you know, a lot of people pushing trolleys or begging or, you know. So rather than changing, it's more that all of those original aspects of life have just been amplified. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that's kind of nice. Yeah. (laughs) It's still there. And I love that Gino's is still there. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Do you remember at that age, did you ever collect things? I think I like stickers <laughs> as a kid. Uh, I used to love gardening, so I loved like planting pansies in the garden or figuring out what things were growing where and looking under rocks and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's really collecting things, but I guess collecting things in my mind about nature, yeah. I'm curious to explore the stickers more because you laughed when you said it. <laughs> yeah, because when I went to America... And when I came home, all I thought was, like, lots of stickers. <laughs> Can you <laughs> describe them? Yeah, they were, like, Disneyland and Universal. Like oh, okay. All these silver ones and different strange tastes as a kid. <laughs> when I was 11, there was this huge fad at that time for scratch and sniff stickers. So I used to collect those. I had some of those too, yeah. yeah. That's why I asked. I was like, oh, what was the fad in 93? Yeah. 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 But it sounds like it was more to do with your trip to the States. What would 11-year-old Soraya advise today's Soraya to be or to do more of? Mm, I think keep going to the beach. Mm-hmm. Like most days after school, if I didn't have some sporting activity, Mum would take me to the beach. Mm-hmm. I think she just wanted to wear me out, I don't know. <laughs> but it was just such an aura-cleansing place. Like 
I don't know, I think as I've gotten older, I've stopped going so much, but I think that really makes a difference to your outlook in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you describe it? Aura cleansing. Yeah. Yeah, so just help clear your mind and mm. whatever small stuff's going on in your head and consuming your brain. Mm. You go to the beach, you can sort of let that go and be a bit freer and have a wider outlook and perspective on life. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good advice from 11-year-olds, right? <laughs> we should all do that more often. So thank you for coming on the show today, Soraya. It's been a pleasure to have you tell us your stories. Thanks, Amanda. really enjoyed it. It's been great. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Being 11. If you liked what you've heard today, don't forget to like, subscribe, or visit our website at sofromedia.com to see what else we do. Until next time. This podcast includes music by Tristan Norton and Martin Kottmeyer.